Today's podcast is brought to you by Every Wednesday, a plan to inspire the people of Portland and support the place we call home. Let's get out of the house and spend some time with each other. Skip Zoom, meet for coffee, take your colleagues out to happy hour. Buying a gift? Ditch the internet and support a local maker by shopping in-store. Head into town every Wednesday and see what's going on at everywednesdaypdx.com. Welcome to The Dive Podcast, presented by Willamette Week, where every Saturday we discuss the biggest news stories of the week with Portland's noisiest newsmakers, savviest culturistas, and some of the best journalists in the game. I'm your host, Brianna Wheeler, and I want to hear from you. So send your questions and comments to me, bwheeler at wweek.com. All right, y'all, enjoy the show. On this week's episode, we're examining two totally disparate Portland realities. On one side, we have the beloved annual pet issue, complete with pet pageant winner glamour shots and some real heartwarming pet positive stories. On the other side, we have an investigation into the iconic downtown building on the corner of Southwest 4th and Washington that, in the absence of tenants, has become a de facto fentanyl market that's an increasingly worrisome hazard to local residents and pedestrians just trying to navigate the area. Essentially, today we're traveling to two different Portlands. One in dire need of action, and another that's just really, really into their pets. It's Saturday, March 25th, and this is episode 116 of The Dive. Today, I'm welcoming two guests— Super friend of the pod, Anthony Effinger, will help me unpack his fentanyl marketplace expose. And Beans Flores, who, as part of the weekly's media team, was one of three judges for this year's sixth annual pet pageant. First, Anthony will take us on a tour of the once iconic building that welcomed drivers entering downtown from the Morrison Bridge. Then, Beans will break down what goes into pet pageantry and, in a kind of unexpected way, remind, at least me, that despite the city's woes, Portland is still as charming as ever. We'll get into those convos in just one sec, but first, here's what I learned from this week's edition of Willamette Week. The ghost kitchen fad is officially over. Reef Technologies, the Miami ghost kitchen company that scattered trucks across Portland shortly before the pandemic and received over a billion from overseas investors, appears to have bailed on the city. But honestly, even for chicken wing lovers, it's not a big loss. Lucas Manfield reports that Portland remains the last major city in the nation not to strap cameras on its cops. The stalemate? The union wants the officers to be allowed to pre-review footage prior to writing reports. The city and the U.S. Department of Justice say... That's a bad idea. It's a bad idea for officers to be able to review footage after using force. No? What do you think, Portland? Y'all trust cops? (laughs) Oh my god. And from the WW website, Portland said goodbye to a 
pioneering drag legend this week when Walter Cole, a.k.a. Darcel, grand dam of the world-renowned eponymous drag cabaret bar, passed on. Story time? I was the volunteer coordinator at the Q Center for some time, and um, Darcel actually donated the bar's old grand piano to the center. And when that piano was dropped off, I am not playing. Glitter and sequins literally exploded out of it. We'll miss you, Darcel. Now let's catch up with Anthony Effinger and learn what's going on at Washington Center. Well, some people think this is the most blighted corner in Portland right now. Mm -hmm. Um, People will know it by the odd curved kind of skylights on the second floor uh, the two-story building on the corner, right there on the corner, that sits diagonal to the corner at the corner of Fourth and Washington. But the whole complex is actually um, three quarters of the block. Mm-hmm. It's that building. It's the old Key Bank uh, to the west, and another nondescript, now sort of boarded-up building to the north. And um, the Menashe family, which is a big real estate family here in town, owns. All of those buildings, which comprise three quarters of the block. Wow. And they are empty. Um, the last tenant uh, was Verizon, which had some sort of equipment in the basement. And I understand that Verizon recently left. Mm-hmm. That wasn't the kind of place I think people needed to go all the time. Yeah. Um, but the key bank closed in 2018. And it was a big branch. It had like nice high ceilings. People might remember it. Um they closed in 2018 and consolidated their branches uh, with another branch, you know, a half mile away. Mm-hmm. So it's empty. And it has borne the brunt of everything that's going on downtown. You know, yeah. uh, we went over there. Uh, Lucas Manfield, our, my colleague, and I went over there and um, watched a lot of drug deals outside. Mm-hmm. Saw a lot of um, um, a lot of people who seem to be taking drugs. Um, and... I think most interestingly, the fence that was put up around the property to keep people out is not working at all. Some of it's laying on the sidewalk. Yeah. Uh, big sections are. And somebody broke in through a window, one of these kind of floor to ceiling windows in the key bank, so you can go in. Mm-hmm. And we went in and looked around. Yeah. And the inside's been graffiti. There are people in there, um, dead rat on the floor. Um, yeah, just you can imagine that it's, uh, you know, graffiti on the safe. That mm-hmm. was sort of something to see. Um, so, yeah, it's a derelict building, and it's been a it's a big focus for the city right now. And it's just, uh, God, it's just wild over there. I mean, it's just so sad. But the irony is that it's owned by this pretty wealthy family, the Menashees. And, you know, Barry Menashe, the patriarch, has had a checkered kind of difficult history with the city. They've gone back and forth. Uh, he offered to give the city 5 million bucks to clean up downtown. Ted Wheeler didn't get back to him in time. He gave a three day deadline and (laughs) back. He got angry and withdrew the offer. He had a homeless shelter in there for a little while, which seemed like a really nice thing to do. Um, so it's been this kind of, he's in, he's out, you know, in terms of trying to make downtown better. And what it seems like now is that they've kind of given up. Mm. And I talked to his, it like uh, Lauren Menashe, his daughter, uh, agreed to answer questions by email. And she said, you know, we tried everything over here. 
uh, we've tried everything. We've boarded it up. We've put up fences. We've done everything, graffiti, blah, blah, blah. And we just can't keep up with the blight. Mm-hmm. So she's sort of like, you know, saying we've tried everything. We're throwing our hands up. Kind of on the other side, you have the downtown clean and safe district. You know them? Yes. Yeah. So you're supposed to pay dues to that. Yeah. And I'm told the Menashees are behind on their dues. And they said, the Menashees said, Lauren said, yeah, we're not paying right now. Um, we will pay when downtown is clean and safe. <laughs> is any, I mean, by that logic, is anyone paying the clean and yeah, safe? Yeah, they are. I think, I think they are. Yeah, I think it's unusual for these large property owners not to pay, though I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. Um, I haven't heard any complaints about others. Um, the other thing is, regardless of that, you know, city and federal law says that property owners are responsible for what goes on on the sidewalk to a certain degree. Okay. You know, they're yeah. responsible for keeping stuff out of the way so that you're in compliance with the Americans with Disabilities Act, mm-hmm. for example. And city code says the same thing. You've got to keep these sidewalks clear of hazards. And they're not clear. I mean, fences are laying on the sidewalk. Yeah. I gather that today they're taking the fence down, the parts that are still up. Mm-hmm. I'm going to ride by there later and see if that's the case. What's the alternative uh, then? What are they going to do instead of having fences? Well, it's a great question. I, I'll hold that thought. I'll find out. But mm. without the fences, they got to do something about the windows. Yeah. So, I mean, these are big, big windows, easy to break. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, the city, I think, is a kind of wit's end. I've ta- I talked to city officials. They're in the story. And they're like, this is job one. Yeah. You know, we want to fix this. This is the highest priority right now? This is it for them. This is the, you know, this is the thing they got to tackle and they're trying. When you were inside, did you see like this kind of like drug market setup? Do you see people, were people openly using in there? We saw people who appeared to be using in there. Um, You know, I can't claim to know anybody's mind perfectly, but they did not seem to be sober. Um, And then we did see outside, right outside of the window in an alcove, we saw several drug deals. And, you know, you could go deeper into the building, but, like, there's just people wandering around in there. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. You gotta well, have run of the place. And, which is really interesting. Like, this is a downtown kind of office building. Yeah, an iconic downtown office building. Yeah, kind of is. I mean... Yeah, just those, the, that glass tube walkway yeah. across the top. Dude. I mean, it's very... So the Menashees, they bought it for nine million bucks in 2014, and the plan was to sell it to a developer. Uh, who would make something, you know, do something sort of, you know, because a two-story building downtown doesn't make a lot of sense rent-wise, right? Yeah. So, but they said that what happened was they couldn't sell it because of COVID. Mm. Uh, And they also blamed the city's um, inclusionary zoning rules, Mm -hmm. where, you know, if you build build something, you've got to make space for um, non-market rate rent spaces. They blamed that, and then... um, she took, you know, she also said measure 110 was a dagger in the community. So, you know, that's their position. Yeah. Um, downtown clean and safe is like, look, it doesn't matter. You guys have responsibility here. Um, this is the sidewalk. This, this is what the law says. So they're in a bit of a tussle. Yeah. Is this, this right. kind of feels like the worst case scenario of measure 110. Like if anybody was against it in the first place, like this would have been why they would have been against it. That's kind of what it, the vibe I'm yeah, getting. That's a really, we were just talking about this over lunch and that's, the, to me, that's the $10,000 question right now in Portland. 
and you'll have people who who blame Measure One Ten up and down, and you'll have people who say this is not the case. Portland is not suffering um, unduly because of One Ten, because all these other West Coast cities have the same problem. Do right? all these other so West Coast that, cities have decriminalized hard drugs, though? Well, that's it. So they're saying, like, look, if you decriminalize or you're criminalized, whatever you do, the West Coast cities have this problem. Mm. So we got to dig into this. We've got to really look at the data. Um, because, I mean, 110 is in the crosshairs, as you probably know. I yeah. mean, Mayor Wheeler came out the other day at a town hall in um, Montevilla and said, if, my, if 110's not working, we got to rework it, right? Yeah. Now, he was talking to an audience that kind of wanted to hear that. Right. Sure. It was set up by some people who are very, very anti one ten. Um but that's the data we need to get. And that's and there are people who are studying this and I'm super curious Me too. about the, about the results. Yeah. Oh my I think, God. I think that's the number one question in Portland right now is, you know, is this working? Is it I mean the money just finally is getting out, right? The treatment money's getting out, right? Mm-hmm. I think I think what a lot of people would agree on is that we decriminalized before the treatment money was out. We got that backward. Yeah. So now that the, the treatment money's out, let's find out what happens. Yes. Now let's catch up with Beans Flores and learn just what goes into putting together a pet pageant. <laughs> <laughs> so um, first of all, how do how does the team come up with the categories that you're judging? Where do these categories come from? So Anna and I pretty much put our heads together and come up with the categories. Um, some of them we keep pretty consistent just because they're popular and they're silly. Um, but yeah, we just kind of put our heads together and think of what would be easy to see from a picture and also like fun. Like people look at their pets and they're like, yes, my pet should be in that category. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's pretty fun, actually. Sometimes it's it's a little challenging. I'm like, hmm, I have to be able to look at this pet and just, like, think, associate it with this category. How many pets are then, like, filtered into each category? So, like, how many, how many pets are you looking at when you're looking at for, who's the most human-like? Or yeah. Chinese so treasure? Yeah, so we got... We got over 700 nominations, um, and we don't have pets. It was crazy. Um, And we don't put a cap on the amount of nominations per category. So basically, it's whatever people think their pet fits into. Um, They can submit to multiple categories. Um, Some people, that's pretty popular to do. Um, Um, Who who else, who, who all is on the judging panel? So it was myself. Brian, who is, who fills many roles at Dub Dub, is just a, like, oh, the he, heart yeah. of Dub Dub. Um, Mick and Anna. Mick is the creative director, as, like, we know. Um, and Anna, who's a publisher. So, okay. You're judging. You're judging all of the pets. Does it get heated? Do you have, like, do you have to go to bat for your favorite cat? <laughs> So it's really funny. I feel like this judging council was very like considerate of every, like there were points where we would flip to like a category and we'd all just kind of like look at each other and be like, who do we want to nominate for this? Um, but it never got like heated. It was mostly just like, a mm, everyone would make their point for the pet that they wanted to nominate. We'd be like, okay. Or we'd be <laughs> like, uh, um, we also like, 
split up for some of them. So we chose some of the categories ourselves. Um, and that was fun because it was just like up to us <laughs> individually yeah. what we wanted to, who we wanted to pick for the categories. But yeah, not, not much confrontation on this round. <laughs> <laughs> I love that for this judging panel, considering the subject matter. I, I love that. There was a lot of laughs. There was a lot of like, mm, no, I don't think that pet really like, but does it work? Like there was a lot of <laughs> pondering. Um. <laughs> I don't think that cat is quite the next face of cryptocurrency. Yes. I don't think that dog looks very high maintenance <laughs> to me. Yes. Honestly. Let me show you a style icon. Yeah. <laughs> I liked the birds. I thought the birds were exciting. Um, we didn't have any bird winners, but Aww. I really enjoyed seeing some of the little birds that we got. Yeah, we need more bird representation, I must say. We had a goat Whoa. as one of the, I think it was like Ted Wheeler lookalike <laughs> last year. <laughs> um, I could be wrong. Don't quote me on that. <laughs> I think that when I was like, uh, I went through the slideshow and I was just, mm, just melting. Those pictures are so wonderful. So beautiful. So the glamour shots, just glamour impeccable. Shots. The little like giddy pig face. Ugh. Ugh. It was so good. So good. <laughs> and it was kind of fun to like also be surprised by that. Like with everyone else I was just seeing all of the photos and I was like oh my god that is so cute Michael Rains did the photos nice. um, we need to give him his flowers because those pictures oh, so, oh, good. so good yeah. did you have a personal fave um my personal fave was of course the guinea pig <laughs> his little face like I just just his little face he has a little smile and it's perfect yes this week's guests, Anthony Effinger and Beans Flores. And thank you for joining me. I hope you'll join me again next week. Until then, bye!